0: Well, we're on a little bit of an adventure today because uh, I updated my computer. I'm sure there's a preach in this somewhere, but, and then didn't update this computer. And so then everything I built wouldn't work. So we're going to try to do it from mine. And so me and Joe are, we've, we've now have a hive mind and he's just going to read my body language and switch without me having any control over what we're doing. So I can't see it on this one. How come I don't get one? It's Tyler's fault. I agree. Okay, so then I'm going to turn with you guys. Um, we've been going through the story. We've been reading through uh, the Bible, and we've been using the reading material of the story. And by the way, if you're a visitor here for the very first time at the end of service, I want to meet you. I'm going to be at this table back here. I'd love to shake your hand and see your lovely face, and I have a gift for you. I'm going to give you a copy of the story, uh, which is an amazing um, Uh, Journey through the story of the Bible from Genesis through to Revelation. We've been going through this for seven weeks now, and we're going to be going through it for 31 weeks. And what we're doing is we're looking at how God has interacted with mankind from the very beginning. And uh, it's been fascinating. It's been fun, hasn't it? Have you guys been enjoying it? Come on. All right. You guys are so quiet today. Was it the trick-or-treating? What is it? Reverence. Reverence. I don't even know if that's true, but I choose to believe it. I love it. Thank you, God. So we're stepping in now, in, the, in this part of the story, into Joshua. And, uh, and I'm happy about it. So are you ready? All right, here we go. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Now, I love this. Before we go, to, go ahead and go to the next one, but I love that he says this. Every place that you set your foot, I will give you that land. Every area that you occupy, I will give to you. And it was the same promise that he gave to Abraham, remember? He said, everywhere you set your foot, I'm going to give you and your descendants this land. And so the story is continuing to unfold, and God is reiterating that same promise that he gave to Abraham and to Moses, and now to Joshua and the children of Israel. From the wilderness... Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. And for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Matthew 5.20, Jesus is speaking to the people, to Israel at that time. And he says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's referring to these very, this very book of the law that God just told Joshua and all the people of Israel, you must do everything written in this law. Jesus, when he's speaking then, years later, he says to them, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses even those teachings of the law, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? Now, there's a few things that are vital for us. This wasn't all supposed to come up at once, but praise the Lord. Uh, (laughs) Now you're ahead of me. You don't even need me anymore. Just read the notes. There's something vital for us to understand about the story of God, about the scriptures, about how we relate with God. The first thing is we need to understand that we are in His story. Do you know that word, history? It is the story of Christ with man. It's his, singular. It is God's story. It's his story. And we are in that story. That story is our story. We didn't come from nowhere. We didn't, we didn't create ourselves. We were created. And we know that we were created because we read his story. We, we, we read the story of God with man and we see in creation where we came from, Adam and Eve. And therefore, because it's his story and because it's happening up to the point where we are and we're in it, it, co- it creates a, a beautiful tapestry for us, but it also, it gives us reality, it gives us purpose. It, it causes us to be able to think and reason and to be able to see that this is, that, that he has chosen that it's also our story. This is our story too. We're in history. History isn't completely dependent upon us, but we get to be a part of it. We're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. So when we read the scriptures, when we read the Bible, in order for us to fully understand and to be able to engage with this and to find it to be good news, by the way, is to understand that this right here, this living, breathing, wonderful scripture that's been pulled together by the, by the inspiration of God through the Holy Spirit, through men and women, believe it or not. And he's written it down, these 66 books, and this is the story of God with man. And when we begin to see that, we begin to see that God has a purpose, that he has, that he has a plan, that he has a people, and we're part of that people, that he's, that he's the God of redemption. Then we begin to understand how these scriptures work. We begin to understand the context that they have and where we are in that context. And so the first thing for us to be able to even be blessed by this scripture and even understand how to apply it in our lives, here it is living and breathing and active, right? But we've got to understand that it's the story of God with man. Does that make sense to you guys? All right. Now the next thing I want you to catch about this, and we're talking specifically about Joshua taking the people of Israel into the promised land, is that the promised land is a real place. This is not just a fairy tale kind of story. It's not an allegory kind of story. It's a real story. It's history. It's history. This happened. The promised land is a real place. And God spoke to the Israelites and said, I'm going to take you into a real place. He spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to take you into a real place, the promised land. But there's an interesting thing about the scriptures, is that God has chosen to tell his story. He's chosen to tell the story of Christ in the history of God with man. And he's put within the scriptures the story of Christ coming to redeem us. And so from the time that Adam and Eve ate from the fruit and brought sin and death into the world, God immediately began to create redemption. In fact, you remember when he spoke to Adam and Eve and he said, listen, you guys ate from the fruit. But he speaks to Eve and he says, in your seed I will rescue the world and you'll crush the head of this serpent. Remember that? And what is he speaking of? He's speaking of Jesus. We know this. But from the very beginning, God puts into the story. He puts into history. He writes it down in the scriptures. And he says, look, I'm working to redeem my people. I'm a good God. And I'm working to redeem my people. Even from the very beginning. I'm a good daddy. And my kids rebelled against me. But that doesn't make me hate my kids. That makes me come up with a way to redeem my kids. From the very beginning. I was just thinking about when Cain killed Abel. You notice that God didn't kill Cain? Isn't that interesting? Cain murders his brother Abel because he's jealous that Abel's offering was acceptable to God and Cain's offering wasn't. But God doesn't repay Cain by killing Cain for killing Abel. Why? Because one of his sons killed one of his other sons and killing his other son (laughs) wasn't in his heart. He's a good dad. He's a good dad. So in history, we're seeing the history of God, this wonderful dad, as he's redeeming his rebellious kids. Come on. And we're in this story. Now, this is another thing that we need to catch. Because this is the story of God with man and man with God, then this is also very realistically, very pertinently, our story. You see... The philosophy of this day purports that we are evolving, that we came from a, 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 you know, a rock, and there was a lot of water, and it rained on it for millions and millions of years, and it turned into a, a little one-celled creature, and then it grew, and then a fish, and then a bird, and on and on, a monkey, and then poof, here we are. And so, given enough time, just give me a little more time, Jesus, and I'll get it right, we'll evolve into something righteous. Okay, that's one philosophy. And at this point, even the greatest of minds that would, that would agree with a macroevolutionary time view, they have found that it doesn't work without accelerated gaps where suddenly you just magically accelerate and evolve really quickly. Or, and at this point too, they're looking and going, oh man, it doesn't actually work. That wouldn't happen. There had to have been at least a point where DNA was brought to this earth. And so some of the greatest thinkers and minds right now are saying that some alien force of some kind, some superior intelligence came and seeded the earth with the, with the germ, the germination of evolution so that we could evolve. So whether you're an evolutionist, a macroevolutionist, or a microevolutionist, or, or a creationist, which, whatever you are, we all land in the same boat of faith that something outside of what we can see had to start it. So, so you could say God created everything, and some people would say, well, yeah, and I believe he did, but he, but he used evolution to do it. Listen, that's not real. I'm not going to major on that right here. I am going to say this. You got to come up with matter somewhere. And you have to come up with something to at least get this house of cards to be stacked upon itself. And everyone at this point on the highest echelons of if intelligence are saying it had to be something outside of the earth that even started the process. And so I'm not you know, just some knuckle-dragger that's like, well, the Bible says it, so I don't believe in evolution. No, for me, it's a very careful thought, and uh, not everybody in this house agrees (laughs) on how this all works, but for me, I I just haven't found a satisfactory answer of of, of why God started the house of cards with a one-cell creature. It just isn't satisfying for me, but I'm not mocking many of those who, for their own reasons, are able to make that work. But we all start in the same place that somebody had to start it and that somebody has to be outside of what we can currently see. And the Bible purports that it was God that did that. So we'll just start there, okay? All right. And then we can just all, for those of us that are on whatever sides of this issue, I think those of you that believe in the macro revolution, I'm just going to throw this out here, you will owe me a dollar. You will owe me a dollar. We'll ask Dad, he'll be like, no, pay, pay the man. You all owe him a dollar. That's fine. I'm okay with that. That was funnier than what you just gave me. That was, it was, okay, fine. I'm going back to the word here. All right, so here's history happening, okay? And, it, and, and the Bible is saying history, start, it starts with Adam. He says, "In the beginning, God created the, in the beginning, God created the beginning. And then it continues to move forward. And the scripture says this interesting thing. It says, in the fullness of times, Christ came. Now, that's a huge statement. In the fullness of times, Christ came. Which means that this story, his story, your story, my story, our story, the story of God with man, uh, contains in it the narrative of God redeeming all of mankind in Christ. And so it means that in the story there had to come a point where it was the fullness of time, the the perfect moment, the cataclysmic event when Christ enters our earth as the God-man, As the Son, Jesus Christ, He comes and fulfills the law. Redemption. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. Amen? But in order for all of that to come together and make any kind of sense and fulfill the reality of what God has created, it has to be done within the reality of what God created. How many of you know God is holy? And He says, I'm holy. Go ahead and go to the next one. That wasn't the one I was thinking, but I'll, um, I'll better follow my notes. Okay, so don't go any further. So he is holy, and he has created all things. And because he is the creator, then he has designed the way that things work. And this is key. This is a key thing for this story to be beautiful for us, and that is these statements. It says, in the beginning God created heaven and the earth. He looked at what he created, and he called it? Exactly. And so what is the definition of the things that were created? very good. And then I just gave away the answer to the next one. He created man and woman in his image. And he said, very good. He said, this is very good. The, The earth is good, but creation, the crown of creation, man and woman, they're very good. My kids, they're very good. Earth is good, but you are very good. You're very good. All right, so what did he do? He said, this is the establishment of God's glory on earth manifested through my children. Wow. And he gives us authority over everything. And we know Adam and Eve give the authority to the enemy. Not so good. Not so good. And in that very moment, God then begins to show and and write the story of how he's going to redeem us. And we know it's going to culminate in Jesus Christ. But he begins to write the story, not just in a book, but as the word says, in living epistles. And who are the living epistles? We are if Christ is in us. And so he's writing a story then, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he reveals the story to us, Moses and Joshua. And so what we're doing when we read these stories, you're reading your own story. You're reading your own heart. You're reading how dad deals with his kids, both when they're righteous and awesome and very good, and when they're knuckleheads and they need hard spanking. But he does not cast them away forever. He always treats them like a good dad. And so that's why these stories, they take on a new, a new understanding and meaning. We don't, we don't read them and go, oh God, you were so arbitrary and weird back then, but now we've evolved beyond that. We're all so smart now, Lord. We've got iPhones. I Googled it. I'm totally smarter than old other people. I can Google stuff all the time. I'm way wiser than those knuckle draggers. Right? But we laugh, but we actually think that. We actually do. We've inherited thousands of years of revelation. We're like, oh, I'm so much smarter than those guys. They were so backwards. Oh, my gosh. This is so weird. You know? But the truth is, this is our story. And no, we have not evolved from this. In fact, the Word of God says you can't save yourself. You can try hard evolve all you want. But this says you have to actually die and be born again. So the story of God then is redemption. And let's talk a little bit about this story and let's see ourselves in it. Amen? All right, here we go. So Joshua commands the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people, prepare provisions for yourselves for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. How many of you guys know that the promised land represents the restoration of the Garden of Eden? And what was going on in the Garden of Eden? God with us. Perfect relationship with God. And what is the Garden of Eden? Eden actually means paradise. And where is paradise? What creates paradise? God with man. The Bible says, I don't desire, God speaking, I don't desire to dwell in, in, in buildings built by the hands of men. He likes our building, but he really only likes it when we're in it. Because we're the temples of God. How many of you know you are the temple of God? And so God's idea of paradise is when the glory of God is dwelling in you, the living epistles, the temples of God. The original paradise of God. The glory of God on earth is God in you and I. All right? So now here's a picture. Here's our story as God is showing Joshua. By the way, isn't that interesting? You know, Joshua, let's just talk about our story. Joshua's name is Yahashua, which means God saves. Jesus, Yahashua Joshua, Yahshua It's the same name. They're the same name. Jesus' name was God saves. Now this is vital because we couldn't save ourselves, could we? So Moses brings them the law and shows them what is righteous and holy. But only Joshua can take them into the promised land. The promised land is the place of your heart. And God is showing us how to take the promised land. So here we go. Go ahead and go to the next one. And the seventh... Okay, so then they go into the land, okay? I'm going I'm to just summarize here. So they head in. You know the story. Jordan crosses. They go in. Everybody gets circumcised, consecrates themselves to the Lord, heals, goes over to Jericho. They're getting ready to go to Jericho. And Jericho is the first fortified city in the promised land. The Bible says this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in high places... The weapons of our warfare are mighty for the tearing down of strongholds and every thought that lifts itself up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They come into the promised land. They're coming into a heart that is holy and completely given over to the Lord to possess every bit of territory that they put their feet on. They want to habitate every part of the geographic place of the promised land. The promised land is representing a heart a people who are holy and completely given unto the Lord. And so God says to them this as they go in to take the first stronghold in the promised land. Are you guys tracking with this? You seeing yourself in this story? So the seventh time it happened, so they're fulfilling, they had to march around. You guys know the story, march around seven times. And then on the last, I'm sorry, march around. March around, march around on the seventh day, march around seven times, then blow the trumpets and then shout. So that's where we are. The seventh time it happened, when the priest blew the trumpet, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city will be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. He's a good dad. You can tell he's a good dad because look how many times he's repeating what he wants them to understand, just like when he has to talk to us like kids, right? (laughs) You abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. What am I trying to keep you from? Don't get yourself cursed. Sounds like a good dad. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord, and they will come into the treasury of the Lord. So he says, go into this first stronghold. You know Jericho means moon. I think it's interesting that it means moon. Moon is a reflection. There's a a city that's called a reflection, and the city, I believe, represents, I truly do believe this, it represents the first fortified place of the philosophies and culture that is opposite to the desires of God on earth. It's a reflection. There's some common grace things that are going on in Jericho. They're taking care of their neighbors, kind of. They're doing certain things, sort of. They're close to the image of God in some ways, but it's defiled. And God says, when you go in, destroy all the culture that exists that's just a reflection. And create something new. Let me create something new in the promised land. You can't pick some of the stuff and hold on to it. Destroy all of it. And then I want you to take the money and I want you to consecrate this first fruits to me. So unfortunately, (laughs) Achan, his name means troubler. I'm pretty sure that he wasn't named troubler initially. I think probably after he did this, everyone's like, now don't be an Achan. Quit your belly, aching." It's probably how that came along. See, I did that. Okay, so Achan goes in. And unfortunately, he takes some of the silver and gold for himself rather than consecrate it to God. And because of this, the children of Israel go and they go to attack Ai. So they totally destroy Jericho. It goes awesome. And here's something that's amazing is that they don't do it based on their own strength. It's totally supernatural. God totally does it. They obey what Jesus says to do. And God destroys that fortress, that culture that existed, completely destroys it. But it's because of a supernatural event led by Yahashua. Sounds a lot like our story, doesn't it? We were saved by Jesus. Now we're going through a sanctification process of taking our whole heart and allowing God to sanctify it through absolute obedience to the, to the requirements and rules of our Father. And God's telling us, this is what your story looks like, guys. This is what I did with Israel. This story right here, that's your story. You couldn't save yourself, I sent Yahashua, I saved you, they went through the Jordan, hello, baptism, circumcision, hey, open your heart up to me, you're very sensitive to me now, and then obedience, go in here and take the fortresses, tear them down, and do what I say to do with the stuff I say to do it, and so they go in, and unfortunately, Achan causes himself some trouble, the troubler steals some stuff, and because of this, now this is what's interesting, He just steals like a little bit of stuff. In fact, uh, go to the next one. I think we have it there. Maybe we don't. Oh, no, we don't. We have my next point. That's fine. Stay right there. He just takes a little bit of gold. He's like, you know what? It's not a big deal. I mean, it's kind of a grace, God. Obviously, God's with us. This whole thing fell down. I'm just going to take a little bit of this stuff because God's got plenty. He doesn't really need my stuff. I'm just going to take it for me. We're good. So he buries it in the tent. Interesting thing. Jesus, speaking to the people when he preaches the gospel, he says this. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and and rust corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Achan just saw the mighty work of God as they're being taken out of the wilderness into the promised land. And as they begin to start sanctifying the promised land, Achan goes, yeah, but maybe I'll just take this little bit and do it my own way. Go to the next one. Jesus speaking says, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. As we're serving God, we can't have little gods. We can't have little idols where we're like, it's not a real big deal, Jesus. It's just a little thing. It's just a little thing. It's not a big deal. I mean, why would God care about just a little thing? He knows what I'm going through. He understands, He's a grace God. He's He's a sugar daddy. But no, God has said, you must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And he says, and the the word further says, I I think it's on the next one. Did you go to the next one? No, this is is where it's a bummer. He he further says this, and it's in there so you can just check, but it says that, that the Lord God is spirit, and those who would worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He further says, I, the Lord, your God, am holy and perfect. Therefore, be you perfect as I am perfect. Now, what does he mean? Perfectionism? No, because we have the mechanism of repentance when we sin, but we don't try to make our sin righteousness. See, there's a big difference between repenting and justifying. Justifying says, well, it's not that big of a deal. Not that big of a deal. Repentance says, ah, I fell short. Okay, thank you, Jesus. See, we're confident to come to God because we're humbled by the fact that God is so holy, Jesus had to die for us. And that he loves us so much that he was willing to do it. We have have both judgment and mercy. He's a righteous judge. But he also is a merciful dad. And he didn't, and he didn't contradict or lower the standard on either of those. That's why we're humbled. And then also called to a high level of righteousness. Because he doesn't lower the standard. He brings us up to it at his own cost. But he doesn't then change righteousness into disobedience. Right? You guys with me? So they're claiming now the promised land. They're beginning to sanctify the land from the cultures, philosophies, and lifestyles that used to exist. You and I, when we come into the kingdom of heaven, what do we bring? Cultures, philosophies, and lifestyles. Let me talk about the number one culture and philosophy that exists right now for us Western thinkers. We've grown up with it so much that we really don't even think about it. But what it really comes down to is autonomy. Autonomy is the belief that truth is completely up to me. I am autonomous. And we're taught that all the time, aren't we? You know what, faith is fine, but it's a private matter. You believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe. And it's all good, as long as what you believe doesn't hurt anybody. But therein lies the rub. Who's to say? Who's to say what does hurt other people? I mean, you see the problem here, don't you? But the truth is, reality actually is theonomy. God (laughs) made the rules because he created everything. So he's to say, this works and this doesn't. This is righteous and this is not righteous. And the two are not interchangeable. And because he's a good God, and because everything that he created in us is very good, then he's the one that says, this is very good, this is not good. But in this culture, because we're so used to coming from a philosophy of autonomy, this idea that as, as though like the kingdom of heaven is a democracy, that we're going to vote God out. It's like, we guys, This is I, I have to say this, we become God's judges all the time. How many times do we hear that? How many times have we said that? If I were God, I wouldn't have done it this way. Well, first of all, that completely goes without saying. I already believe you. You believe me. I love it when somebody's like, look, I'm not perfect. And I always love to stop them right there and go, listen, no one is accusing you of that. (laughs) Totally goes without saying. I wasn't even confused about that. But we say to God, we say to God, I don't like this. I don't like the way you're doing this. I have a better idea. Or we say to him in a, in a, in a we're deceiving ourselves. It's true, we can be deceived. And the hard thing about being deceived is, <laughs> by virtue of being deceived, you don't know it. And we become God's judge. And we say to God, God, it's just a little bit of gold. God, it's just this one little thing. And we say to him, I don't understand. So I'm not going to do it. But that's not actually how God created things. He said, I, the Lord your God, am holy. And you must worship me in spirit and in truth. And let me tell you something. Righteousness, the righteousness that we live from, happens when we obey. And then we get understanding. Not the other way around. Many times in his goodness, he will give us revelation. But in some places, he doesn't. And here's the kicker. He doesn't have to. He is the Lord God. You know, he told Adam and Eve in the day that they ate from the fruit. It's a piece of fruit. I mean, I think let's just start there with all of our rationalizations with God. We're like, but does God really care about those little things? I mean, really, does he? I mean, well, I think so because you know what? He put, the, the, he put choice and lordship on a tree in a piece of fruit. If there's ever something that we really don't understand, it would be like, why can't I have a, I can eat every other fruit in the garden, every other fruit. And he's like, I know. And I gave you this decision point here where you could choose to reject me in a piece of fruit. It's not even like a hard puzzle. It's a piece of fruit. But we come to the Lord and we say, and Adam and Eve really did say the same thing. They're like, well, I don't understand why I can't have that piece of fruit. And he's like, cause in that day you will die. Well, why will I die? I'm not telling you. Here's the one thing I'm telling you. Don't eat from that piece of fruit. That's it. Totally can do everything else, but don't eat from this piece of fruit. Well, why? Because I am a good God, and in the day you eat of it, you will die. Well, Lord, that's not enough for me. So you know what? Until you come down to my level and make me you, I'm not going to obey you. Well, that's a weird, treasonous thing to say, isn't it? But we regard sin as seeking understanding through experience. And God regards sin as what it actually is, treason. (laughs) I don't know if I can. Did somebody record that? We regard, (laughs) I can't, it's gone. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We (laughs) regard, I'm moving on. See, there you go. You know, again, I'm only qualified because of the Lord. That was one of the wisest things I've ever done. I'm going to go home and tell my wife the joke that I was about to tell you, but you don't get to hear it because I'm being wise right now. So here we are. They're in the garden. I mean, they're in the garden. They're in the promised land. And they come to Achan. And here's the interesting thing. Achan's decision... His seemingly autonomous decision. See, he didn't realize that his treasonous decision was going to cost other people their, their lives. Because when Israel attacked the city of Ai, they got absolutely defeated. And people died because Achan thought that he could make an autonomous decision. When Adam and Eve ate from the fruit, we died. We don't like the idea that our decisions could actually be painful. We want the freedom to do whatever we want, but we don't want the responsibility to have to pay for what we did. That is the sin of pride. That's the sin of autonomy. The sin of autonomy is that I will be God. That's why Satan fell. He goes, I will gather the glory. I want to be the guy that decides what's right or wrong. And so when God comes and says, I am God, I am good, you are my children, you are very good, he's determined what reality is and how it works. And when you and I try to decide and determine, what we're doing is saying, you are not God, I am your judge, and let me say this, in our judgment of God, and we have all done that. In our judgment of God, and we have all done that. We have determined that his motives, his mode of operation, his mode of communication is not up to our standard, and each of us at some time or another has taken up the whip, beat him, put him on the cross, and hammered the nails in ourselves while we autonomously said, you are not good, and I will be your judge. But he loves us so much that he let us put him there. And said, but you are my child, and I love you. And if you will turn away from your own autonomy, then I will be your God, and you will be my child. And then we will begin to sanctify your heart. And so we go into the promised land. And Achan says, but Lord... I'll give you everything except for this little bit of gold. I don't like the idea of this first fruits thing. It just seems kind of legalistic. I'm just going to take a little and just keep it in my tent. So he does. And so then people die. (laughs) Because the kingdom of heaven works really well. And God gives us real authority. So when we don't do things the way he wants us to do them, it creates poverty. It creates destruction. And it does, and it kills people. And so they, they, get dist- they get totally beat, and Joshua goes and says, Lord, what happened? And the Lord says, what are, you, what, are you, what are you worried about? I didn't give up on you. Somebody sinned. Somebody created autonomy in their own life, and they brought death into your camp, and you're cursed because of them. Now we don't like that idea that our decision could actually hurt the people around us. But in fact, it does. And so he goes to Achan, and he says, what have you done? And God identifies Achan, and so they come to him, they confront him, and Achan says this. And Achan answered Joshua, and he said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. So he does repent. And he says, When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and I took them. And they're hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. You know, Jesus later, when, he said, when he's speaking to us, he says, Don't take any thought for what you'll wear. Beautiful Babylonian garment. What you'll eat, what you'll drink. Do you not know that the pagans, they run after these things, but your father knows that you need them? But seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. But Achan didn't seek first the kingdom. He sought first these things. And he took the first fruits and he hid them in his own tent instead of bringing them in to the storehouse. Let's go to the next one. What's the lesson? (laughs) I think you're all getting it. Jesus said that wherever your heart is, I mean, sorry, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. The first place to look for where your treasure is is your actual treasure. So consecrate it to the Lord. The thing that I want us to walk away with today is that we would give our whole hearts to God. And that we would lay aside our own autonomy on how we do that and actually look into the Word and see how followers of Christ have been doing that for thousands of years. Because it's not a mystery, it's right here. And I love this word only be strong and very courageous. That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. And this book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Now, when we read this, this is our story, and we begin to learn things like how Achan decided to take something in the area of money, and, and he was going to decide, this is what I'll do with first fruits. And he brought destruction and poverty upon his own camp. As you continue to watch, and as we continue to read through this, I want you to be looking for all of the other lessons. This is just the, the kindergarten one. I, I've actually never noticed that this was the first thing that went wrong in the promised land until this last reading. I mean, I'm aware of the story, but I never noticed that it was the, 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 uh, the initial disobedience in the promised land that happened involved money. Isn't that interesting? The very first thing that came to bear was money. How many of us, when we come into the kingdom of heaven, that's like the rubbing point right there. Like, God can have my life, but he can't have my money. You know? I have a pastor friend, and I love it. People will come up, and they'll be like, do you believe tithing is biblical? And he'll, and he'll go, well, let me answer that question with a question. Do you want to give less, or you want to give more? I have very few people that have come and had the tithing conversation because they're like, listen, I am tired of being constrained to the basic principle of 10%. Please tell me I can do more. <laughs> I have yet to run into that. Now, there are several that will say, yeah, 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 the New Testament's freedom, and, and so, you know, we're, we're just supposed to give with a grateful heart because God hates a, a, a stingy giver, blah, 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 and you're like, so are you saying, like, you feel constrained by God that because you keep doing way more than 10% that, like, you're feeling condemned? And they're like, well, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm like, well, then what are we talking about? Like, we both agree that Jesus gave everything, every drop of blood, to show us what the kingdom of life is like, that it's filled with generosity. So what are we talking about? Are we really arguing about a minimum right now? Because if you're doing the maximum, you'll, by virtue of that, have already been doing the minimum. But until you start with the minimum, what are we talking about? It's so quiet when we talk about money. So, this is our story Achan repents. He is killed. He and his whole family are killed. I do want to say this. We know that Christ, it says, when Christ came, he descended into hell, into Hades. He took the keys to sin and death, and that he led captives in his train. It says that Christ preached the gospel to everyone who was held in Hades which is different than hell, in Hades, and to those that were in Abraham's bosom. He preached the gospel. You know who was there? Achan. And you know what he had done before he died? He repented. And God forgave him. So this isn't, this isn't about eternal salvation. This is about our hearts and obedience unto the Lord. Let's take the elements. We're going to pass them out. Uh, wow, it is time for lunch, isn't it? Well, we'll start by remembering the cost of our freedom and what God has brought us into. We'll close, on, we'll close on that. But here's what I want you to catch as you continue to read this story. Start with money. Money is the kindergarten of the kingdom. Jesus said, if you're not faithful with unrighteous mammon, then how can I entrust you with true riches? Money is the kindergarten Of the kingdom. It's the beginning point for each of us to say, Am I in fact a follower of Christ? It's the schooling, it's the leading, it's the beginning of training our own hearts and autonomy of whether or not we truly depend upon the Lord or whether or not we are still trying to be our own provision and provider and determine our own rules. It's nothing more, it's nothing less. He owes us nothing. There are all kinds of blessings that he attaches to obedience and finances, but he owes us nothing because all things are from him. Isn't that great news? But he goes about, it says, the eyes of the Lord are going about to and fro, looking that he may bless the righteous. And you are the righteous because of Christ. And so if this, if today, if if for you the thing is you're where Achan's at and you're in trouble... (laughs) you're a troubler, you've troubled your life in this area, then bring this before the Lord and say, God, then then help me to be obedient in this place because it scares the bejeebers out of me. You know, it just does. And I'm sure you have good reasons for that because we all do. I'm not trying to make light of this. But if this is your area, then bring it before the Lord and say, God, forgive me and help me to obey. And as I obey, then help me to understand. And as we continue to go through this story, We will get to talk about so many other areas as to why we live as a contrast community in this day and age with the way that we serve, the way that we adopt, the way that we live, the way that we give, the way that we do business, the way that we make sure to fulfill the righteous requirements of God on earth because we've taken the whole promised land, our whole heart, and left nothing that hasn't been consecrated and brought into obedience to Christ Jesus. Let's stand. says, Jesus took the cup, and he took the bread, and he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. That body was broken for the very reasons we just talked about, that God did not lower the standard, but rather he fulfilled it in Jesus, who died a sinless man and took the punishment that we deserved, because every one of us has become and has been the God of our own life. We've committed treason in our own hearts, and we've stood guilty, and we deserve to die. But Jesus died the death that we deserved, and he rose again so that we could live the life that he deserves. This is the body. This is the blood poured out for the remission of sins, that in him we've become the righteousness of Christ. Let us remember what he has done and rejoice together. Take the bread. Thank you for the blood, Jesus. Lord, I know that the Bible says, in many words, sin is present. That terrifies me every time I read it, Lord. I ask God that in the many words I've spoken today that it would not be anything other than your word that comes to bear on our hearts today that we would obey you in all things, that we would enjoy your presence in the entire geography of our hearts and lives so that we can glorify you in all that we do according to your scriptures in the name of Jesus. Amen. The prayer servant team will be in the back if you need prayer for healing or encouragement. And if you're here for the first time, I would sure love to shake your hand and meet you and, and give you a gift. God bless you guys.